Good morning, it's good to be with you. Um, if we've not met, my name is Ben Robertson, and I am the campus minister with Reform University Fellowship over the college. So welcome back, students. So glad you're back. Um, we were uh, joking with, I was joking with a few of you how in the fall there's all this fanfare, and then the spring it's like, well, it's time to go to class. You know, uh, here we are, back at it. Uh, so we're going to be continuing our series in the Gospel of John, and uh, we're going to be looking at a conversation with Jesus and Pontius Pilate. Uh, Jesus has been put before Pilate uh, by the crowds, by the religious leaders of the Jews, uh, and they've asked Pilate to determine Jesus' fate. They want him to judge uh, Jesus so that he can be crucified. Uh, and Pilate has spoken with them, and now he's gone, he's, uh, gone into his uh, chambers here to speak with Jesus. We're going to be picking up at John chapter 18, sorry, verse 33. John 18, sorry, with verse 33. We're going to read a few paragraphs on into chapter 19. Verse 33. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? And Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? And Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. And Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews, and he told them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him, and the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. Then they came up to him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again, and he said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, we have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he made himself the son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again, and he said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have the authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all, unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out, and he sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement, and in Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now... It was the day of the preparation for the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king. 
And they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you uh, for your word, uh, for your love for us, for your truth, for your power, for your sacrifice. We pray that you would speak to us now, help us to see the truth, to know it, to believe it, and to live in the power of your resurrection, even today. We pray this in your name. Amen. So here Jesus is engaging with a politician, and we live in interesting political times, I would say. Uh, I think we have a strange relationship right now as Americans with our government. Um, and I think most countries probably do to some extent or another. There's an interesting tension that takes place. And here, as Jesus engages with Pilate, they're talking about two big topics, the idea of truth and the idea of power. And our, our conflicted uh, relationship with politics is related to those things too, right? Um, we sort of live in this new era of a tremendous amount of doubt about what's true in what we read and what we hear. You, know, you read this website, and they've got these facts, and you read that website, and they've got other facts, and are they actually facts? Can I call them facts? Where did they come from? Did another government like create that website? <laughs> and I don't even know like where it came from. Uh, what am I to believe? Is, is the thing that this politician is telling me, is it true? Can I believe it? Is it trustworthy? And then along with that, let's say you do trust a certain politician and they're making certain promises. It begs the question, does he or she have the power to actually do the thing that they're promising? They might mean it, but do they have the authority? Can they exert their will? upon the rest of the world and make those things happen. And here, Jesus is engaging uh, with a politician, with a governor. Um, it was questioned for a period of scholarship whether or not Pilate actually existed. Uh, skeptics of the Bible uh, challenged that. There wasn't evidence, but Pilate was a real historical figure. He was appointed by the emperor Tiberius, Tiberius Caesar, and he served as the governor of Judea uh, from 26 to 36 AD. Uh, in 1961, there was a tablet found um, the famous uh, Pilate inscription. Uh, it's found in Caesarea in 1961, and it, it describes Pilate as a prefect uh, of Judea. So he's a prefect. So not only was he the governor of Judea, but he also was apparently pretty successful in his time at Hogwarts uh, School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. He was a prefect there. Um, but it, Jesus is engaging with this governor, this prefect, uh, over these questions of truth and power. Uh, first, truth. It's a conversation about truth. Verses 37 and 38 of chapter 18, Jesus says, For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate very famously answers him, What is truth? What is truth? That's a question we really all have to ask, the question that he is asking. You may be asking this question very deeply yourself today. And I think there's sort of two common cultural answers to that question right now uh, in our society. Uh, the first answer to the question, what is truth, may be that there is no truth. There's no real, uh, true truth. Um, and so if I were to say that to you, I think your obvious response to me, if I said, hey, there's no such thing as truth, you would ask me, well, is that true? And then you've got me, right? I, I, if I answer yes, that's true, then I just contradicted myself. And if I say no, then I've denied what I just said. And so now we can continue to have a conversation about truth or its existence. Uh, Connor Oberst, the lead singer for Bright Eyes, uh, whom you all know and love, uh, sang uh, in one of his songs, 
if you swear that there's no truth and who cares, how come you say it like you're right? If you swear that there's no truth and who cares, how come you say it like you're right? Uh, but then we might soften it. You know, it's a little simplistic to say there is no truth, but you might just take a step back and say, well, maybe there is truth, but we can't know the truth. You know, we're limited human beings. It's impossible for us to really know uh, the truth, which is a little bit softer, but it's still a little bit problematic because you could then, if I told you we can't know the truth, I can't know the truth, you could then ask me, well, do you know that? And then I'm stuck again, right? If I say yes, uh, I've claimed to know something that's true, and if I say no, then we're continuing our conversation about truth and how we can come to know it. And those are complicated and deep philosophical questions. Um, but at the same time, I think in a very sort of everyday way, we all live, even if we would say there's no truth or that we can't know it, we all live as though there is a truth out there and to some degree or another, I know what it is. Uh, even the most convinced postmodern philosopher will stop at red lights, will look, at both, uh, look both ways before she crosses the street. Um, David Hume, famous philosopher, uh, he denied the, the reality of causality, that one thing uh, causes another and introduced a whole, a whole lot of sort of skeptical philosophy about our ability to know. You can ask uh, Professor Chris Tucker more about him some other time, not me. But he, he denied causality, but he, uh, the thing that he would have to do, someone asked him, you know, what do you, how, do you, how do you live? And uh, he would go uh, and sit at a table in his backyard with his best friend and play backgammon uh, when he got his mind, you know, so wrapped around these ideas and couldn't figure it out because the reason that he did that is because he needed something tangible and real. Backgammon, it's kind of like chess, was real. He and his friend were real. He could just focus his mind on that game uh, to relieve uh, the stress of, of his writing. Uh, we all live in some way or another as though uh, there is reality. But Pilate here asking this question, what is truth? Those are two possible answers. But there's so, so much irony here that John is giving us in Pilate's asking of that question. There's several gallons of it. Uh, and first gallon of irony is that um, he asked the question, what is truth? And then did you notice he doesn't wait for an answer? He immediately leaves. It's this sort of glib, cavalier response over this really, really important question. Um, second level of irony is that he is being asked to judge a case. And the idea of judging something is that you're trying to determine something that is true and something that is false. It, the very job, the very task at hand for Pilate is to determine the truth. Um, and then third, along with that, another level of irony is he comes to a conclusion on that. He three times says that there is no guilt in Jesus. He declares him innocent. The whole concept of innocence assumes the idea that there is something true and something false. There is right and there is wrong, that there is guilt and that there is innocence. A uh, fourth ironic thing about it is that it has sort of the air of a know-it-all, right? Uh, it's, uh, what is truth? It's like he's snuck onto the roof of PBK uh, with a pack of cigarettes and a friend and they're talking about their, what they talked about today in Intro to Philosophy, you know? Eh, what is truth? Um, and yet, in claiming to be the know-it-all, he's denying the possibility of any knowledge at all. Uh, and then finally, he asks the question, what is truth? And the deepest, probably most profound irony of this passage altogether, what is truth? And the answer to his question is standing in front of him. Not just as a proposition or a true statement, but the embodiment of truth itself. John's answer to the question, what is truth, is that Jesus is the truth. 
Jesus said so himself in chapter 14, I am the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he has just said to Pilate, I am witnessing to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. The part of what he is saying to Pilate here when he says, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. He's saying, Pilate, your inability to recognize the truth is not a problem with the truth. It's a problem with you. The notion of the Bible is this, that, that God's truth is making itself manifest, making itself known, that God has revealed himself to us, but we are missing it. Um, here's an interesting thing. Have you ever thought about this? Do you know that right now, radio waves are passing through your body? Think about that. AM waves, FM station are literally passing through us physically, coming through the walls, coming in. And if I had a radio, they still make those. Um, you have to like special order them off eBay, but you can still get a radio. And uh, if, I, if I took a radio out and turned it on and started turning the dial, suddenly we would recognize these waves that are invisible to us now, right? And Jesus is saying to Pilate and to us, it's not that the signal's not there. Your radio is broken. Your heart is broken. Your mind, even, is not functioning according to the way it was designed by my Father. To just hear the sound, to know. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate, tune in your radio. Now, that's a tough pill to swallow. I can understand. If you're here, you're coming to church, like, I'm seeking after God. I'm trying. I'm, this is what I came here for. A friend invited me, or I, I want to figure this out. And you're just saying, it's just that I have a broken radio. I would say, don't make the mistake. That is a tough pill to swallow, but don't make the same mistake as Pilate. Don't glibly walk out the door. Um, but keep t turning that dial. Keep asking those questions. If you're picking up a little bit of static and saying, I think I hear something there, continue to seek the Lord. Continue to read the word. Continue to ask your questions and engage. Uh, Bono, the lead singer of U2, sings in one of his songs, How can you stand next to the truth and not see it? Don't stand next to the truth and not see it, like Pilate did. But why did Pilate not see it? Why didn't he see it when it was right in front of him? It was partly because for Pilate, the truth was just a means of getting power. The usefulness of truth, one way or the other, what was true is determined by what was going to suit his power in his convenience. So this is a passage about truth and a conversation about truth, but it's also very much about power. Um, you know, again, I think when we think about power in our society, we immediately think about, again, politics, right? Um, and I, I had an interesting experience. I, I lived in the Deep South before, but before moving here, I lived in Missouri, in St. Louis, and then moving uh, here to Virginia. Uh, both, of our, both of those states are, Missouri's a state, we're a commonwealth. Um, uh, there's, a, there's a, a sense in which the nation watches uh, Missouri and, and Virginia in a way because we're sort of a barometer for how the whole country is going to go. I noticed that particularly in presidential elections in Missouri, there was a lot more national attention on which way Missouri was going to go, and they, that happens here as well. And we sort of make uh, two almost contradictory uh, frustrations that we have uh, with, with elections and with politicians and with power. Uh, one is we can sort of obsess over it. We can attribute way more power than may actually be there so that every election cycle, you know, it's like if so-and-so wins, 
I'm moving to Canada, you know, um, or so-and-so wins, I'm, I'm moving to Mexico. And I've heard that, you know, every four to eight years um, in, in throughout my adult life. It, maybe you've said that, maybe you've thought that. Um, and of course, you know, nobody ends up moving to Canada and we can't go to Mexico now because once the wall's built, like there's no way back in. So we wouldn't, it's too, it's too risky. Um, kidding. Um, but so there's like, we attribute so much to it. And then on the other hand, there's like, what difference does it even make? You know, it seems like, you know, elect this person, like that person, does it really matter? Um, I remember I go into the polling place at DJ Montague a few years ago for a local election, and there was a, a man there that was uh, running to be on the, the county board, uh, and he was a write-in candidate, and he was standing, you know, the, the appropriate distance from the school, and he stopped me in the parking lot and said, hey, will you write in my name? And I said, well, what, what do county board members do? And he said, it's, uh, you know, budgets. And, it's just really vague, like kind of budget things. Uh, we vote on budgets. Um, I voted for him. Uh, you know, he was uh, he was tall. Uh, his he smelled nice. Um, he had a nice cologne. Okay, budget stuff. Um, but there's a sense of like, is the, do you even have the power? What is it? Because I was really asking him, what kind of power am I giving you if I vote for you? Um, but power is very much a motivation in politics. But it's also, if you think about it, it's a motivation in so many little parts of our lives, right? College students, you came to college in part because you're hoping, I would imagine for most of you, that you will get employed somewhere better than you would have if you had not gone to college. And you want to be employed because you can have, you know, money and resources and influence and status. Um, a lot of you may not know this about me. I actually wield a, a pretty significant amount of power, I've observed, when I really broke it down. I mean, there are people all over town, there's multiple places I've been to even recently where I could walk in uh, to a room and sit down and then I could tell someone exactly what I wanted to eat and then some people that I didn't even have to look at or see would fix that meal for me and then that same person that I asked for it would go get it and bring it to me I would eat as much as or as little as I wanted and I would just leave the stuff there right and they would clean up after me after I left I didn't have to clean up the kitchen um, there's some other people some engineers who designed um, a Honda Odyssey for me and my wife and uh, people, you know, extracted steel from the ground and put it together for me. Um, there's a whole network of satellites and towers that let me talk to people and communicate. And I, I have access to those things uh, because my money is power, right? I hand you this and you say, okay, I'm willing to do this for you. Hence, we get the phrase, money is power. But we have all sorts of ways in which we want to exert power, whether it's the influence on this committee or that committee, um, the neighborhood HOA, um, the overzealous RA, who's policing uh, his hallways. I had an incident a few years back, uh, a conflict between two RAs who were both involved in RUF because one of them was walking uh, onto the other RA's hall and eavesdropping at people's doors, hoping to catch them uh, drinking or smoking illicit substances uh, in their room. And it was like, this isn't your turf, you know. <laughs> Easy, you know, back, that's not our job. But we, we all have these ways in which we have a little bit of power, a little bit of control. Uh, the, the librarian who demands absolute silence, the flight attendant who insists that your phone be on airplane mode and your seat buckled before we take off, and we all do that. The controlling dad, uh, the, the domineering husband. Uh, it's about this idea of power, and we get these illusions that maybe we have a little bit more than we really do. Um, power is certainly what motivated Pilate, but for Pilate, his power is just an illusion. 
He says to Jesus in 1910, do you not know that I have the authority to release you or to crucify you? Don't you know what my power is? And yet Pilate, John is showing us, is not in control at all. His power is an illusion, and John shows that to us uh, physically with Pilate's body. Uh, So the paragraph that we skipped, the the Jews are not allowed into the chambers because they're preparing for Passover. And so uh, Pilate is respecting their tradition, so he'll have a private meeting with Jesus inside, and then he'll go outside to talk to them because they can't be ceremonially unclean by entering his chambers. And so he's going in and out. Pilate goes outside to face the Jews and the crowds in verse 29 of chapter 18. Then he goes back inside to speak to Jesus. Then he goes back outside to talk to the Jews again in verse 38. Then in chapter 19, he goes back inside to see Jesus in verse 1. Then he goes back outside to the crowds in verse 4. Then he goes back inside to speak with Jesus privately. Then he comes back outside again with Jesus in verse 13. And then finally in verse 16, he declares three times that Jesus is innocent He gives the verdict on the case he's been asked to judge, but then hands him over to be crucified in contradiction of his own verdict. He is a human ping pong ball, totally out of control. He doesn't rule anything. He doesn't even rule himself. He's bouncing around. He's ruled by the crowds. He's ruled by the religious leaders. He's ruled by fear of Caesar when they call out. Anyone who declares himself king is no friend of Caesar. We're going to tell your boss. And Tiberius will be mad. He has no real power, only an illusion of it, and he looks pretty silly in the process. But as silly as he looks, and as, as absurd as, it, as John sort of presents him, uh, have you ever decided whether someone would live or die in front of an angry mob with a boss like Caesar who could have you killed if things got out of hand? Pilate's under a lot of pressure. It makes my power grabbing seem that much more absurd. How would my story play out of my big plans, of my success and my importance and my don't you know who I am? Um, my wanting to one-up you in a conversation and tell a better story than you and exert a little social power over you. Uh, my anger when that person doesn't bring me the food quite the way that I wanted it because I paid for this and I'm owed it. Um, And Pilate, this whole time, he's just so obsessed with power that he can't see the truth that's right in front of him. His main concern with Jesus is about power. So you're saying you are a king. And as he asks that question, you know, Pilate's saying, are you a political threat to me and my boss? Um, But again, with the irony, he has no idea what he's asking. Are you a king? And Jesus, in this whole process, is showing him what true power really is. There's an illusion of power, but there is such a thing as true power. And Jesus says in verse 36, My kingdom is not of this world. It's not from this world. It is not like your power, Pilate. It's not like Rome. It's not like American forces. It's not like money. It's not like being the president of the HOA. It's a different sort of power. Pilate asked him, where are you from? They said that you call yourself son of God. Where are you from? And Jesus is saying, authority and power like me come from above. It's so boldly. Can you imagine someone walking into the office of the President of the United States and saying this to him? 1911. 
you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Don't you know who I am? Jesus says, you have no power. You have no power. His authority and power, just like ours, is just on loan from God. That's it. We don't own it. It's been delegated to us. We are stewards, not kings. And Pilate, Jesus is telling him, you're not really even the pawn of the religious leaders and the mob and of Caesar, but I'm in charge here. Jesus has been using his real power, his real authority throughout this entire process to answer the questions in such a way, to put Pilate in this position in such a way that Pilate would at the same time declare him innocent and have him killed in the same moment. Throughout this entire conversation, Jesus has had one purpose, and that is to get himself killed. And therein is his power. And John told us earlier in the book that this would happen. In chapter 10, Jesus says this, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Jesus shows Pilate and us that true power in the kingdom of God is where weakness is strength and where life comes from death. And that is what he set out to do out of love for you, out of love for his world that is his and belongs to him. And yet we've turned our radios away and he has come to lay down his life, to use his power to sacrifice himself to bring us back. Let me pray as we go to the table. Lord God, we thank you that you love us, that you are not uh, a manipulator, that you are not power hungry and yet all of power is yours, and that you use that authority and power to bless your people, to bless us, and to bless your world, that you laid yourself down for us, that we might know the truth and that the truth might set us free. We pray that that would be true of us, that we would be people that live in a way that reflects that. We pray this in your name. Amen.